But this morning, I just want to look at Father's Day from the perspective of God. And whenever we look at roles and when we're thinking about or we're looking at what we feel that we're supposed to be doing in our own conscience that has not been established yet in the grace of God, uh, meaning that, remember in Hebrews 13, verse 9, it says, let your heart be established in grace. The heart is the, is the engine of the soul. It's pumping all the blood, but it's also pumping all the blood of your spiritual life. And our heart needs to be continually encouraged uh, by the grace of God. And when we look at Father's Day, um, I think so much that Michael said, we didn't talk about our messages before. We never really do that. We never really discuss with the worship team what I'm going to be preaching. I know a lot of pastors spend hours sitting with their worship team and their other speakers. Things that we're speaking about, make sure it's on key. Um, but we didn't do that. And so much that he said really was, it meshes so well. Because I think the Holy Spirit is involved somewhat in our church. So, in Romans chapter 4, I just want to quickly read uh, several verses here. And uh, about Mo, about Abraham, who was walking with God by faith before there were even the law was given by Moses. And I think God did that on purpose because he wanted to make a case, as, as, as um, Michael already brought out, that a relationship with God does not begin with the law, but it just begins with walking with God by faith. And let me just read this. The promise, uh, for the promise in verse 13 of chapter 4 of Romans, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. Imagine that, God saying to you, okay, your kids are going to be the heir of the world. Huh. Imagine hearing that, like, your kids are going to be ruling the world, right? Imagine, you know, here's, here's Abraham living in Ur of the Chaldees. And this promise to Abraham did not come through the law of Moses by obeying the Ten Commandments who are to be the heirs. Now, why do I say this? Why is this important for Father's Day? Because number one, a lot of dads look at themselves from the perspective, I'm not doing enough. I'm failing. I can't even believe that I'm acting out the way my dad acted out. And I, I'm doing the thing that I, that I had promised that I was never going to do. And now I'm doing it. And we begin to judge ourselves based on some law that's not even biblical. The law is not only mosaic, but the law is also how to be the model dad, how to provide for your family, what car to drive, all of these things that seem to be guiding principles, but a law in our life, but really are not the law, that are really not the way God is looking at fatherhood. For the law brings, let's see, verse 14, for if it was, for it, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and promise is void. He's saying here that if, if fatherhood was based on being the best dad and the law, obeying the law, then the promise that was given to Abraham would be null. That means that God promises to Abraham that his kids, that his offspring are going to be heirs to the world. And that's not going to happen, Abraham, by you being the best dad, by you reading all the books. Isn't it wild how there are all these books out there? There's hundreds and hundreds of books, yet how many people that have read these books experience transformation? Uh, transformation does not come through knowledge. It does not come through reading hundreds of books. 
It comes through believing by faith the Word of God and just the presence of God in our life as we mix faith with what we hear. And so when we look at Abraham, he's called here that he shows in verse 16 that it's a walk of faith, that Abraham possesses all the promises by walking by faith in God's promise. Okay, that's the theological part of this message. Now I want to get to the practical part. When you look at the life of Abraham, and I just read through his life again last night and then this morning, let me ask you, how many armies did he lead into conquering lands? How many nations did he conquer? Okay. He had a battle, right, to save his, his carnal, unthankful brother, uh, nephew Lot. Let me ask you another question. How many churches did he start? How many churches did Lot start? Was he a missionary? No. Uh, how many great messages did he preach? Can you go online and listen to Abraham's messages, sermon net? You know? None. Okay, well, let's see. I mean, um, how many signs and miracles did he perform? How many people did he heal? How many, how, many tongues, how many times did he speak in tongues? What was he doing? Was he some amazing person? No, he wasn't. He was just a man that during the time of Nimrod, Nimrod was his own character and his own own interesting person, leaves the whole land and the whole culture of the Ur of the Chaldees in, South, in southeast Turkey and starts migrating down. And what did he do? He did nothing. Nothing, zero, nada. He, and he was called the father of our what? Not just the father of an example. Father of our faith. I mean, I mean, how much bigger can you get as far as a person as a role model? He is the father of our faith. He did nothing. He, did, he acquired nothing in his own strength. Get it? He's walking around. Okay, we're going to stop here. We're going to build a tent. Now we're going to build an altar. We're going to sacrifice. And we're going to call upon the name of the Lord. And we're going to move on. It sounds very anticlimactic, right? The father of your faith. Imagine God speaking to you, right? And saying, I'm going to... And, he just, he, I, and I know that God speaks to all of us in this room in a very personal way. And he's speaking promise into your life. But imagine trying to make that promise happen, right? Okay, God just told Abraham he's going to be the, you know, his offspring is going to be the heirs of the world. He's going to be the father of our faith. and He's going to be a friend of God in James 2.23. Imagine trying to make all of that happen. I don't know how many of you have a sense of the call of God in your life. When you look at your calling, whether it's a mom or whether it's in ministry, and you try to make that happen in your own energy. Okay, I gotta get out there and I gotta make this happen. Uh, Wednesday is Wednesday is get it get her done day. We just move forward and we're running forward. What does Abraham do? He does nothing but he and he just trusts God. What does he do? Well, he does something. He builds altars and he almost kills his kid. <laughs> right? He's building altars. And then at the end of his life in Genesis 22, he's got a knife in his hand and it's, going, it's about to go down on his child's chest. But God stops him. And I'll get that to a minute. Abraham builds five altars. Now think of you as a father. I'm speaking to dads today. You're, um, and we look at the father of our faith. The example of our... He is my example as a dad. When I look at him, I'm looking at him and his walk with God. And he builds five altars. I'm going to look at them in a second. This guy is far from perfect. This guy is making mistakes. He is blowing it. He, he gets on with God. He gets going with God. And he gets distracted and he goes to Egypt. 
Then he lies about his wife. Then his wife gives him some bad counsel and he follows it and there's this triangular thing going on with him, Hagar, and Sarah. This guy was not an amazing guy. I mean, he was an amazing guy, but he was, he was frail, wasn't he? And you look at him, three things I just want to say about Abraham. Number one, when he built an altar, it was in fact a way, and this is important, number one, when he's building an altar, this is in one way, in fact, a way that Abraham is possessing the land that God has given to him. Genesis chapter 12, God says, I'm going to make you a father of nations. You're going to have this land. And whenever you and I sense the, the amazing promise of God in our life, that incredible uplifting thing, when that happens, the first thing we want to do is disqualify ourselves. No, God must have the wrong guy. Or I had that chance, but I blew it. Guess what? The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. God doesn't change his mind about your calling in your life. You might say, well, that was the back in the day when I was doing this and I was on fire for God and I was ready to do this. But no, the gifts and the calling of God on your life is not changing. It's never going to change. And that's the comfortable, that's the comfort in our life. To, and so as, as Abraham is walking through this land, he's building altars. And every time he builds an altar, he's saying, I'm claiming this land for God. We're looking at a minute what an altar is. Second thing about this is that Abraham did not need to strive to possess the land. He was already there. He was already there, wasn't it? He left and he was there. He was in the land of promise. He won. He was done. The whole thing was all, all over, game over. He was reigning in that land. Although he didn't possess anything physically, he owned the land. Isn't that amazing? We're going to see in a second how true that was later on in Israel's history. And then number three, every, and this is amazing, you can look it up yourself, every place that he, he built an altar and sacrificed on, that place became a guidepost marker for generations later, for when Joshua brought in the armies of the Hebrews, they went from altar, literally altar to altar to altar to altar, and they militarily took over that, that part of the land and um, establish God's kingdom there. Isn't that amazing? Altars are important in your life as a dad, even as a mom too. Altars are important. An altar is a place where we, in Romans 12, verse 2, 1 and 2, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. What is the sacrifice that we are offering today? It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's not my energy. It's not my intentional intentionality. It's not my hard work. It's not my discipline. It's not my marketing ideas. It's not anything else. Me beating the pavement. It's me standing in the place that God has called me to be. Standing there by faith and building an altar and just worshiping God. You know something, whenever, and let's get this in a practical way. Whenever we feel like that we are not making the cut, Whenever we feel that we're not making the cut and we are um, failing as a dad, which happens, I think, let's see, every hour? I don't know. I don't know. I'm failing as a dad every hour. I'm learning. But every time we're in that place, we need to sit down, get quiet, get still before the Lord, and make an altar. And what's the altar for the New Testament believer? It's the cross of Jesus Christ, right? It's going to the cross. And say, Lord, I'm not enough. I'm not enough for these kids. I'm not enough for my wife. I'm not enough for my job. I am not enough. 
And I'm not going to try to pretend to be because when I put myself on that altar, I'm going to, what, what's going to happen to me? Talk back to me a little bit. I'm going to, what am I going to do? I'm going to burn up, right? I'm going to be laying on that bed at four o'clock in the afternoon and say, I cannot finish this bed. <laughs> I'm done. I'm burnt out as a dad. And I need to go and do something. I need to go do something to escape the situation. At that moment, when we see our insufficiencies, and they're going to happen all the time, we go to that altar of the cross. I just want to make this very simple this morning because I want to make it really practical and say, Jesus, I'm not going to put myself on that altar. You are on that altar. You are everything that my kid needs. You are everything that my wife needs. And we can be very free. And we can be very vulnerable as Christians because it's not about us. Me being a pastor saying, hey, guys, I'm the dad that you guys need to follow. You, know, you need to follow Jesus Christ, you know, because you're going to see in every one of us in, in the church of Christ across the world a very frail and very broken person. And so these guideposts make an altar. You know, maybe you're in a life, in, in, in your life where there's financial struggles. Maybe you're in a place where you're not, you just are in a place of needs. I don't know, maybe your kids are not talking to you. I don't know what's happening in your lives. Maybe you're estranged with some of this. Abraham was there too. Abraham had a son through Hagar, Ishmael. That turned out to be a real mess. I was thinking about that yesterday. I was driving. Can you imagine having a kid um, through the advice of your wife, through Sarah? You have this kid, Ishmael. You love Ishmael. I mean, you're a dad to this kid. And this is, this is your son. And God tells, God tells you, that this God arranges a circumstance where you are now estranged to that son. And Hagar and Ishmael, he's a little baby, he's a toddler, they go into the desert and, and um, Abraham or someone gives Hagar from Egypt just a cruise of oil. I mean, not a cruise, a cruise of wire, like a little canteen of water. And so Hagar is walking around in the desert. It's desert. I mean, it's like, it's like eastern Texas. I mean, western Texas, right? Yeah. It's desert out there, and there's no water. And he's out there walking, she's walking around there with her son. And she puts her son behind a rock. It's kind of a heartbreaking story. And she goes off a distance because she doesn't want to hear her son cry and die. And so she's crying out to the Lord. And that prayer unto the Lord, God hears that prayer and speaks to Hagar. One missionary to the Middle East said that every time the call of prayer several times a day goes out through those speakers in the mosques is that prayer is a prayer of Hagar. That is the crying out to a God that they do not know that hears them. For Islam, Muslims do not know that their God hears them. I personally pray for, pray for that part of the world. Um, there may be a trip that we, that we have been uh, asked to take to, to go to Dubai for a few days to see some opportunities there. I'm not moving anywhere, guys. Don't worry. I'm, I'm here. Houston's my home. I was on the way in here today on an Uber, and because my one of my cars is down, and the guy that was driving was from Bangladesh. He's Muslim, and it's so rare to find someone in Houston that doesn't know Christ or doesn't know about God or he's not in the church. And so I'm talking with this guy about his Quran, and I'm talking to him about his holy books. One of them is part of the Old Testament. The other one is called the Injil, and it's about the life of Jesus. And I said to him, every good Muslim needs to read all five books of Islam. And have you read the, the Injil or the Hadith? And he goes, no, I haven't. I said, you got to do that because it's all about the life of Jesus. He's a prophet. And in Islam, it says that you shall believe the words of a prophet. 
If you, I want you to read, I want you to promise me you're going to read the Hadith, which is about the life of Jesus, like basically the Gospels, about miracles and the compassion of God and God touching people's lives. And you're going to discover there's a God that hears your prayers. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's the mediator between you and God. Because in Islam, there is no mediator. And God only speaks Arabic in Islam. And so I want to say this, is that as we were driving here, um, he said to me, and he just got really, like, you know, in a good way, just excited. He says, I need you to pray for me. Would you pray for me in church? And we'll pray for him at the end. And his name is Ashan. And he said, these things are going on in my life. I don't know what to do. This is impossible. I don't know. I can't do this. And, and, and I just was thinking as he was saying this, Islam has no, has no provision for a God to hear the prayer of the prayer person, the person that's praying. And that is, the, that is the story of Abraham. Abraham cries out to God and God hears him. There's five altars. I'm going to say them really quick. There's the altar of promise in Genesis 12. And this is when he departs his friends and his family and he goes and he obeys God to God's geographical will in his life. By the way, there is a geographical will for you in your life. God does have a specific place that he wants you to be for every area of your life. And when we are not in that geographical location, we open up ourselves for a lot of craziness in our life because we don't have that geographical covering of God in our life. Secondly, the altar of intimacy, prayer in Genesis 12. Abraham hears the, hears the promises from God and God, Abraham responds in prayer on the, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. And that's intimacy. Have an intimacy, have an altar of intimacy with God in your life. If you need to go for a walk, uh, get up before everybody else does. Just have a moment where you have some intimacy with God on a daily basis as a dad. Because if you don't have intimacy with God, as we heard Michael say, we're gonna be giving people our flesh, our family, our flesh. Then there's a third altar in Genesis 13. So he moves from, he moves from Ur to the Haran, and then he goes down, he's moving, and he's on his way down to Egypt, and he gets distracted, and he goes down in Egypt. And while he's in Egypt, no altar is built. Egypt speaks about bondage to this world. As dads, we can get so wrapped up in the worldly things. that You know, guess what? They don't really matter, okay? When we get to heaven, it doesn't matter what car we're driving. We get to heaven. The only thing is, is that we would reveal Christ and that we would be Christ to our families and to our wives. And so he goes down to Egypt and then he gets, he gets wrapped up in this crazy thing. He gives his wife to the Pharaoh. Pharaoh fears God more than Abraham at that moment. And Pharaoh figures out that this is another man's wife. And he kicks him out of Egypt. And so in Genesis, in Genesis 13, he goes back up to where he left from that moment where he got distracted. He said, to that same altar in Bethel in Ai, and he, and he returns there and he calls upon the name of the Lord. He's back on track. There's the altar of repentance. That altar of repentance, okay, God, I got off track. I lost focus on, of the call of God in my life and now I'm back on track. And then there's the altar of possession, the, third, the fourth one in Genesis 13, where, where he's back on track. He begins to walk with God again. And he's fellowshipping with God, living his life, having a great time with his family. God's adding to him. Uh, he becomes a very, very wealthy, um, blessed man. And then he begin, and then God, and then what happens is, is that he has to separate in a relationship uh, with Lot. So, you know, sometimes separation happens in in our relationships, and it, and it, I think the thing is to uh, to blame ourselves. You know, I'm the kind of person that just blames myself. And when separation happens, it's God. It's like if you trust God for every step in your life, 
And we don't walk around blacklists, but sometimes God just says, you know what, Lot, Lot is familiar with you, Abraham. You know what familiarity means? Familiarity means when I'm looking at somebody after the flesh and I'm extracting God out of their life. It just means that as a husband, I'm looking at my kid or my family or my wife in familiarity, meaning that, oh, I know all about them. I know what they're going to do. I know what they're going to say in this situation. And there's no God there. I mean, God is there, but there is no, there's no um, sacredness. Sacredness. You know, the one that you married, I've, ha I've had people say to me in the past, I think I married the wrong person. I said, no, you didn't. You're married, that's the will of God. Don't go anywhere. You're in the will of God. Even if it was not the best decision, God's bigger than your decisions and you're in this marriage and this is it. You are married, this is the will of God. And don't have double thoughts about it. Live in a sacredness. You know what I'm talking about? Like between you and your wife? I mean, me and my wife, I mean, you know, diapers and clothes and dirty dishes. And if you've been to our house lately, you just see like, it's like my wife keeps a very good house. I'm the one that messes it up. When you get in there, and, you, and it's like, but there's something very sacred in our home. Very sacred. You know what that is? God. God's throne is in our home. Not because we're amazing people, but we're called by God. And I think when we look at our wife, or we look at our husband, we need to say sacred. That is sacred. And there's something between us. Without that sacredness between us, and it has to exist in the church too, by the way. I know I'm talking long, but I think I'm, what I'm saying is important. I'm going to talk 14 hours here. There's a sacredness between us, right? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I mean, Jeff is sacred. Tony is sacred to me. I mean, you know, I'm going to say Jorge. I'm going to say Eduardo is sacred to me. You know what I'm saying? My kids, you know, my wife is sacred. And if we don't have that prevailing sense of sacredness, even if you're in business with each other, and I know a lot of couples in our church have their own business and they're in the business with their lives. Look at your wife, look at your kids, and just say, you know, that's sacred. I want to get on my knees and just thank the Lord for how sacred this is. This is not me. This is God. And you know, I mean, maybe your mates is not maybe a mature Christian. It's okay. They are sacred. They are in your life because it's a gift of God, and we need to, we need to exercise that sacredness. Here's what happens, especially in a church, okay? People, you're going to see, you're going to see you're going to see frailty. You're going to see, you're going to see brokenness in my life. You're going to see that I have clay feet, that I'm not Joel Olstein or anything like that. He's amazing. Thank God for what he's doing. But I'm just saying that you're going to see frailty. You're going to see brokenness, right? You're going to see flesh. You know what? What do you do at that point? You know what do you do? Well, there's one of two things we can do. We can either we can criticize, or we can be like, because I know in Texas there's a lot of options. There's a lot of a lot of churches here. There's a lot of places people can go. And probably a lot of more amazing churches that offer way more than we do because we're not in competition with anybody. I just say, let's lift up Christ and have Christ between us. That way, if somebody messes up or, you know, you're just in a situation where you see their frailty, you know, go to them, talk to them about it. But make sure there's that sacredness. You know, when we have that sacred honor between people, it doesn't mean that you can't talk to each other about issues. Sometimes people say, well, I don't want to be negative. No, you need to speak up, Matthew 18, obey the word and go and see that person alone and say, look, maybe I got the wrong idea or how's it going and can I help with something? Um, because disobedience is, is when Sarah looks at Abraham and instead of saying, my Lord, is saying something else, okay? 
sacredness, sacredness is when we look at each other and we say, you know something, fallen but forgiven. Fallen but forgiven. Fallen but forgiven, like we heard Michael say earlier. Fallen but forgiven. And say, guess what? God is between us. You know what I'm saying? God is between us. And before I can touch that person's life, there's God. And when we judge another person, whether it's our mate or another person wherever we are at, God's between us. Am I making sense? So let's guard against familiarity in our families. Let's guard against familiarity with our kids. Let's pray for our kids. Let's believe that God's got a calling for our kids. And let's be very teachable. And then um, walk by faith. You know, Abraham, God says to Abraham after they separate, after Lot, you know, if there's people that are not in your life today, then they're probably not supposed to be in your life. And when God, when God removes Lot from Abraham, then Lot's kind of like, Lot just walked off with the best of the land, you know? Ever, you ever have someone walk away in your life and they're taking the best and you're kind of dealing with like, you know, squat here on the side? God says, hey, lift up your eyes, Abraham. I want you to look at what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you something that Lot could have never gotten. And he says, look, look to all four. He said that he looked at all the points to compass and say, as far as your eye can see, I'm giving that to you. I've given it to you. It's yours. It's yours. That's who we are in Christ. Is that God has given us this land. God has given us this fatherhood. We are as much as we are supposed to be in Christ. And then he says, now walk it. Walk it. What does that mean? It just means like, okay, hey, let's go over down to, um, let's go over down to um, Magnolia, because God gave us Magnolia. Let's go down to Humble. God gave us Humble. Let's go down over here, or as a dad, hey, let's go over here. Let's talk about high school. God has given that to my kid. Let's talk about um, school over here. You know, I'm talking about these conversations that we have as dads with our families. Let's go over there and just stand there. Because every place basically says the same thing to Abraham as he says to Joshua. Every place that your foot stay, stand, I have given to you. Let's practice this as dads. As we walk into new situations, every year we're growing. The pressures change. Demonic attacks change on your life. The devil's always changing it up so it's never the same. But stand in that place because God has given us that ground. And when God, when we live in that, then we're living in the fourth, that fourth altar, the altar of possession. And the last altar happens at the end of his life. Genesis 22. He offers Isaac, his son, on Mount Moriah, which later on turns out to be an incredible geographical location in the life of Christ where we see, uh, where we see Jesus Christ himself is offered. And Abraham, now a mature Christian, uh, aged way over 100, is about to sacrifice his only son and, and Abraham knew that it wasn't God's will for Isaac to die. He knew that. Abraham knew God. It's, you know, it's not, that's why he says to his son, we, I think Jeff brought this out a few weeks ago, God himself will provide a sacrifice. Sometimes we're afraid to sacrifice things that God has given us because we're afraid to lose it. Well, if God gave it to us, if God gave you something that you could never earn in your life, and he gave it to you. Why is he going to take it away? God's not that weird kind of a sadistic God. God is wanting to bless Isaac. I just want to finish with this. As dads, if you walk away with one thing from this message, just walk away with this. Build altars in your life. I mean, even, even in areas of just absolute, maybe some absolute wreck in your life, build an altar there. 
because the favor of God is, is on you. Build an altar there. Just say, God, I'm building an altar of repentance here. I'm, bringing, I'm building an altar of possession. I'm building an altar of faith obedience in my life. I'm building this altar. And guard yourself against familiarity because God has given us these... When I look at our, what we're doing as a church here, of course I'm thinking about the future. Of course I'm thinking about wanting to see people get saved and come in and get healthy. Don't neglect your family. Come to church just for a couple of hours a week. Just come in and just get built up. You know, get some good friends. Have your social life get built up in the church because God wants to bless you. God wants to encourage you. Build an altar in your family. And you know something? I'm just saying a lot of different things and kind of scattered thoughts here, but pray with your family. Your kids are going to think it's corny. Oh, no, we're going to pray again. Uh, you know, my dad used to do that with us. He used to say a prayer, and my mom used to do that. We thought it was the corniest thing. You know, we were going to church, we thought it was corny. But you know what it did? It brought in a sacred sense that there's something in my family that's bigger than my domestic life and my drive and my business. And there's something sacred. And if mom and dad are not crooked people, kids see that all the time. They don't. They, but you know something? There is something bigger in my mom and dad's life, and that's Christ. That's Christ. They go to church. They pray. They, they're doing their best. And when we do that, we're building an altar. And guess what? That place that we build an altar becomes God's kingdom. And you may be saying, well, I don't see any growth in my kids. I don't see any growth. I don't see any changes in my in my family or whatever that's going on, build an altar there because when we build an altar, that becomes a root for the kingdom of God and that becomes a place for the army of God to come in and in, an, in, in a seen way, take over that place as rule. Amen? Father, we thank you, God, for the altars that we can build in our life. But we thank you that the altar is not us doing the best we can, although that's something that is on our hearts and our minds all the time as dads. But we can build an altar and say, Jesus is what's needed in this situation and not my flesh and not my achievement and not my hard work. Lord, we trust you, God, for ourselves. We lay ourselves at that altar. Lord, we thank you for the provision that you bring in. We love you this morning. We pray that this will be a, a day where dads can be encouraged. We can build altars and not live in familiarity in our business, not live in familiarity in our relationships, not live in familiarity with our marriages or kids. Because when there's familiarity, we don't acknowledge God in the mix. And then Satan has a place. Lord, we pray as we go this morning that you would bless us. Bless our dads, encourage dads. Those dads that couldn't be here this morning, we pray for them. We love you, God, the Father, the true Father of our faith. And we thank you that Abraham, in all of his weakness, was a friend of God. Three times it's mentioned that in the Bible. Bless us as we go this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.